Welcome to the Dildor, Storky Discourse on Sex, Dating, and Masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex blogger, a sex journalist, and I'm only kind of okay at setting boundaries. Gotta work on that one. Who are you, friend? I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and a sex blogger, and I love nerding out about communication tools. Yes, very, very fun stuff. And uh, (laughs) speaking of communication, we have a special guest today who specializes in that, among other things. Could you please tell us who you are and what you do? So hi, everyone. My name is Marsha Baczynski, or you can call me Marsha B. And I'm a sexual communication coach, and I work with people on how to figure out and ask for what you want. So very straightforward, just that. That shouldn't be hard at all, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's amazing how complicated it can be. And I feel like, honestly, like as a sex educator, like 70% or more of the questions I get are ultimately communication questions that could be solved by like either ask your partner or like be brave enough to tell your partner something. Um, and so many people don't want to do that because that's like the scariest, hardest thing. So we definitely need more people like you. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally scary, though. It totally is. We all get like nervous about what does it mean if I ask for the wrong thing or they react badly or fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. There's so many fears that people have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So part of, I think your work with this is um, you have your good girl recovery program and (laughs) you wrote an ebook about that. And one of the things that really stood out to me was this quote um, among those socialized as girls. However, there's often a particular strong extra strong need to be nice to put others needs before your own and to follow the unwritten expectation that you must be compliant and self-sacrificing to be of value can you talk to me a little bit about uh your experience with that and why you chose to speak about that (laughs) yeah i um this, this really was an outgrowth of all of my other work as a sex educator and i kept noticing that with my clients i mean regardless of gender people have a hard time asking for what they want they trip over setting boundaries they um they struggle with being too much or want maybe what if i want the wrong thing but what i noticed was that um particularly with my women clients and my uh, trans clients who were raised as girls there was just this like extra layer of caretaking and caregiving for the other person that I didn't notice with my male clients um, and people who were raised as boys. And um, there's obviously exceptions to this. This is sort of a generalization, but it was such a common thing of, of like setting aside their own needs, especially when I was doing a lot of polyamory coaching. It was just constantly setting aside their own needs, their own boundaries, their own wants to, to make it work for the group. Um, and not necessarily advocating for themselves. And so I really wanted to address that. I wanted to look at that. Um, and a lot of my work is very much through a feminist lens. So I'm looking at, you know, looking at systems of oppression and intersectionality and how uh, particularly for like, want to narrow it down even more, like white and Asian middle class people socialized as girls have this as a really strong socialization that they get growing up. And I, can, I can't speak to other populations. I'm sure other people have that as well, but I really noticed it very strongly in those populations of people just having a really hard time kind of setting aside the nice thing. Like, wh- what if I'm going to be 
shamed or yelled at or told that I'm selfish or all of that. It was just extra loud. So I really wanted to address that and ended up creating an entire program around it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, one of the things my therapist brings up a lot is I'll be like, you know, "Ah, I really ripped into someone or man, I really yelled at them. And he's finally recently he was like, can you define yelled at them? And I was like, I spoke quite sternly and told them the truth. And he was like, that's not so much. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I I found it really interesting reading about your good girl recovery program because the phrase good girl is like super important to me in like my kinks to the point that like I literally have it tattooed on my body. It's like one of my favorite kink honorifics. And it really got me thinking about how like maybe part of what I like about it in a kink context is that like it's a subversion or like a a reclamation of uh, this thing that I'm trying to move away from in all areas other than sex is is the good Mm -hmm. girl thing that you're talking about of like, you know, um, bending over backwards to accommodate for other people. And it's like, maybe I want to do that in this very specific sexual container, but like don't want to do it so much in other areas of my life anymore. It's interesting to think about. You're you're not the first person to say that to me. And in fact, I have some students in the program who are kinky and that is part of their kink and parsing out, you know, play from real life. And also, I think some of this is like the ways we eroticize the stuff that happens to us and the things that we don't have control over. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really common, you know, to, to eroticize um, our coping mechanisms for patriarchy? I don't know. <laughs> I'm familiar with that concept. <laughs> um, so in addition to that ebook, you also have a field guide to consent. Uh, I'm curious what some of the biggest mistakes you feel like well-meaning folks make when it comes to consent. Oh, I loved... I, so I created the field guide to consent because after the Me Too movement um, sort of came roaring to the forefront whatever it was eight months ago nine months ago uh of course that became the hot topic of conversation and consent has been a core piece of my work for 15 years so it feels validating that now people want to talk about it mm-hmm. um there's a couple of things i think are really common mistakes um i think that asking for permission is far better than nothing when mm-hmm. it comes to consent but the problem with a permission-based model of sex is that it's sort of built on a really old-fashioned misogynistic view of sex, which is that women have the sex and men are trying to get the sex. And by the <laughs> way, everyone is straight and monogamous and right. 1950. Uh, but women have the sex and men are trying to get the sex. And so he's got to pursue her. And then she's a gatekeeper. So the only thing she can do is say yes or no. And he has all the desires and he's the agent. So what ends up happening in that very limited model of consent or permission really is that there's a lot of resentment that can build because he's always having to like ask her, you know, so he's always in the vulnerable position of having to ask. She's the gatekeeper. So she never gets to have any desires of her own. Mm -hmm. She can only respond to what he's doing. It leaves out queer people. It leaves out groups. It leaves out, you know, people, women who have desires of their own and men who want to be the gatekeepers or who want to be like pursued. I mean, it it really shortchanges so much of what's possible in sexuality. And so I like to think of consent instead as an agreement about how we're going to play together, Mm -hmm. which sounds, and then that brings me to the second misconception people have about consent is that it's legalistic or that it's hard or complicated. And and I I just think like, kids know how to do this. Let's play tag. (laughs) You be it. No, I don't want to be it. Okay, fine. I'll be it. 
<laughs> that is a consent conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? If you watch kids play, it's like, okay, they make up entire universes <laughs> of like, from the outside, it's totally inscrutable. It's like, I don't know what the heck is, there's a dragon and there's a house <laughs> and like, there's a chimney sweep. I don't really understand what the kids are doing. They've got, they come up with, they make it all up and then they figure out how they're going to play together. And sometimes they bump up against each other and course correct as they go. And that's really what all consent is. It's an agreement about how we're going to play together. So that includes like, yeah, of course, people are enthusiastic to be there. It includes, of course, people can change their mind. I'm tired. I want to go eat a sandwich. Like, <laughs> that's fine, right? Like, kids know how to do this. And when we add in sex, which a lot of people have shame about or uncertainty or they don't know what they want around, it just suddenly feels so much more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we put all these like adult concepts of like permission and the law and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff on top of it. And, and it's, it doesn't actually have to be that complicated. So the, you know, the first misconception is that it's about getting permission. No, it's much, permission is just a tiny shade. It's just like one <laughs> of how you can do, I mean, that's a way to get to do consent, but mm-hmm. um Creating agreements about how we're going to play is uh, a much better one. And then, you know, moving away from this gatekeeper model to uh, everybody is a participant. And as long as we're focusing on everybody getting, having a good time, then like, okay, some people put desires on the table. Some people say yes and no. You switch it up. You change your mind. You know, it it just becomes a lot easier. And then you can make sexy and fun too right <laughs> i was gonna say like it's, it seems like the permission model like really doesn't allow very much room for like enthusiasm and excitement because it's it's very like based in like reluctance and like convincing someone and these are not fun sounding ideas so like the, the one that we have talked about many times on the show is like some version of like i really wanna like i really want to kiss you right now or whatever like stating your uh, desire and and there's enthusiasm yeah. baked right into that and I find that not only like sexier but also like more kind of fair to both people because you like you know what you're getting into and yeah. it's it's so much better yeah I uh, had a I had a I use this as an example in the the field guide to consent um, but my favorite line I think I've ever heard in terms of like somebody asking about kissing or checking in, creating consent was, do you think my red lipstick will mess up your red lipstick? <laughs> oh, so like, good. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> femme on femme makeup. It's femme always femme. so messy. But also like consent to mess up your lipstick, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what if I need to look good later? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So we've talked about communication in some of the, like, more serious ways, but communication is also super important for, like, fun stuff like flirting. Um, I think when I talk about flirting, because I do a lot, um, I also flirt a lot, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Um, When I'm talking about it, the biggest pushback I get is people being like, but, like, I just don't know how to flirt, which I think is underselling themselves a lot, but I'm curious what you say to the people who feel like they just don't even know where to start. Yeah, I actually teach a class on flirting. I've been teaching it a lot lately, and it's been really, really fun. So I've been having a lot of conversations with groups about this. Um, the first thing I would say is that there's a lot of different styles of flirting. You know, some people, it's very physical, it's very embodied, it's very, like, movement-oriented. Um, it might be kind of, like, on the dance floor, maybe fairly nonverbal. 
Um, for some people, it's it's a lot of wordplay and puns and like riffing. It's very heady and you know <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, for some people, it's very compliment based. So the first thing I would say is that you know we all have a style of flirting that is sort of innate to us. And to a lot of times when we think we're not good at flirting, it's because we're looking at other styles that are not our style. And mm. Of course, you're not good at that. Right. But there's going to be a style that'll be your style, right? So that's one thing. And then the other thing, and I think this is where people also get really concerned because of the consent conversation, is that flirting really does rely on interacting sort of on two levels at once. There's sort of the ostensible, uh, straightforward, plausible deniability of like, we are having a normal conversation. And then there's subtext. <laughs> right. Right. And I think some people are, I, I do think some people aren't good at either projecting subtext or hearing subtext. Like some people are just really literal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can, that can make flirting challenging. And then some people are like, yeah, but then you don't have consent. And so the thing I like to say is that there's everyday normal conversation. And then there's flirting, and then there's the consent conversations. And there are three different kinds of conversations. And uh, you know, noting that there's three different things going on, flirting, you flirt with somebody, and then, and then you, have a, you have a hot, sexy, playful consent conversation once you've established, oh, this person's into me. But the reason we flirt is that in most cultures, and most subcultures, I mean, not necessarily in some of the sex-positive subcultures, but a lot of other places, it's pretty much considered unacceptable to just walk up to somebody you think is attractive and be like, hey, want a bone? <laughs> yeah. If you have a you can do that. But if you're, mm-hmm. you know, like at a regular dinner party or at a bar or, <laughs> like, most people would be really t- put off by that. And so flirting is a way of kind of testing the waters to see if there's interest. Mm-hmm. And... It, because of that, it does require a little bit of vulnerability. And there is this thing where it's like you say something and it can be taken either way. And then you can save face if they're not interested or they can pick it up and like run with it if they are interested. Ideally. Now, not all of us are that skilled, but, uh, <laughs> but kind of knowing that that's what's going on, that there's, there's a, it's a dual conversation is one of the sort of core ways I would define flirting. And then that dual conversation could be physical. It could be very like heady intellectual it could be a lot of wordplay it could be um just cheesy jokes it could be like i like your shoes um <laughs> <laughs> it could be based on a lot of different things um mm-hmm. so kind of knowing that i think is helpful and then the other thing i would say for people who are not good at flirting is give other people a reason to flirt with you mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is flag something that you're interested in <laughs> Wear your comic book shirts, you know, wear your hanky in your left or right pocket, like wear your poly pride symbol, like put something on your body to flag, to signal to people who are into the things you're into, whether Mm -hmm. it's sexually or not sexually, because it could be sailing, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, So then there's, they have a reason to talk to you. That's a really, if you're shy, that's a really good way to get people to kind of initiate with the flirting so <laughs> that's like my favorite trick it's so good. Um, <laughs> I, uh, i'm not really great at initiating conversation with people unless i feel like i have like a reason to be talking to them about something 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to like be ridiculous so people talk to me. Like I was just at Kink Camp, Dark Odyssey, uh-huh. um, and I wore one day I wore a crop top that said Blockbuster and Chill. And the other day I wore a crop top that said, I will bottom you so hard. I made so many friends. I bet you did. (laughs) It was perfect. And then, like, people would stop me and be like, oh, my God, I love that. And I'd be like, oh, thanks so much, you know. And, like, sometimes I'd move on and other times I'd be like, thanks, I like your face. Um, We should talk. That reminds me, too, of... um... Nina Hartley at the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit because like two years ago I was way too nervous to go talk to her because she's like a big deal and like I had like you you Bex had to like force me to go talk to her but then last year I just like I was at the hotel bar showing some friends my new giant enjoy butt plug which is beautiful um but Nina Hartley just like saw what I was doing and just came over to me and was like well here's how you use that butt plug and like don't use it in this position because that'll feel weird but try it in this other position I was like I just like drew Nina Hartley over to me by holding it <laughs> like it was magic right. <laughs> it's and, like and a summoning spell no, totally totally right that's so my new flirting old. strategy I'm just carry that it's around a good flirting strategy no it, it, it's interesting too because I think um a lot of cis men really struggle with this like that I've seen you know, I've had a lot of guys come and talk to me and they're like I don't know how to do that like because they don't like performance and peacocking is sort of like women get to do that and queers get to do that. But if I'm a straight cis guy, like what do I get to do? And that's where I'm like, no, if you carry rope around, you will get fans. Like (laughs) wear t-shirts that signal things you're interested in. Like, please, for the love of God, don't wear a hoodie. Like it's the Bay area. I live in the Bay area. Like all cis guys everywhere wear hoodies, like do anything to stand out and people will come talk to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you know, and that, that's been really eye-opening for several of the straight cis guys that I've talked to. Because it's like, oh, wait, this the sort of flagging and signaling isn't just for women, femmes, bottoms. Like, you could be, you can still signal when you're in these sort of, um, po- like, positions of power where, again, it goes back to the gatekeeper model. Like, the men are supposed to initiate and the women are supposed to respond and there's only two genders and gatekeeper, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think, again, that's a way that it shortchanges cis men where it's like oh you you can flag and you can signal and then people will come talk to you and then you can figure out how to be on the receiving end of attention which you know some cis guys really would like that for a change mm-hmm. so yeah um, signaling is for everyone <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to your flirting workshop you also teach a wor- workshop called dominance without toys which Topping without toys yeah awesome yeah <laughs> um Kate and I both have a lot of experience with long distance DS, and I feel like that's super relevant to that workshop because <laughs> yes. a lot of the DS we do is not physical. So I was curious if you had any tips for like dominance over distance. Oh, geez. Um, so that class, the topping without toys, I spend a lot of time focusing on how to use your voice, how to um, pace yourself in the room with a person, like distance and like closeness and far like being far away um how to basically if you have no idea what else to do put put the put a blindfold on them and then you can like (laughs) be clumsy (laughs) and like not know what you're doing and they won't know um (laughs) so i haven't really thought about it in terms of long distance but i do think that there's a lot we can do 
with our voice to mm-hmm. induce states of dominance or or submission um and uh and also just like creative instructions right like <laughs> assignments um having people perform acts uh video them like i have a person that i play with uh and and they're actually local but we don't see each other that often so we do a lot of stuff with okay send me a gif of you doing this or you know i, I give assignments and then um they have toys at their house that they can do. <laughs> Send me a picture of your toy drawer so I know what I have to work with. <laughs> so you can do a lot with, with pictures, um, you know, depending on people's privacy concerns, mm-hmm. uh, assignments, instructions, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the yeah, the, 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 the thing. I, sh- I mean, I, I have experience with it, but I haven't really thought about it in terms of like distilling it into a, a series <laughs> of, <laughs> even though I, I do play that way. Hmm. I'll think on that. I'll think on that. I think the voice is like very, very important. And I, I'm saying that as a person who's biased because I have a ton of phone sex now. Um, but it's really interesting how like at first when I started dating my partner, I was like, oh, I'm like way more into his voice than I've been with anybody else I've ever dated. I guess he just has a really great voice. And the more I've thought about it, the more I'm like, like, yeah, it's good. But also I think it's because most of my communication and most of our DS is like via the phone. So like his voice can like drop me into a headspace faster than I think anything else he could do. Uh, he just gets the dom voice, you know, it's very, it's very different. It's so, it's so funny yeah. when like people shift into it really quickly. We call it like falling off a dominance cliff. Like you just drops right into it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I met someone at camp who was talking about that same idea and like, we had been flirting for a while and like slipped into his dom voice and was like, see how you could do that. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm, I am. Mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, and like I stood there for a second and like he was doing it and I was like yeah okay and then like my hands were behind my back and I was like looking up at him and I was like wait what am I doing (laughs) right it's hypnotic like if you just slow down and drop in with the person you're both giggling you're both not even doing anything I didn't even say anything then you're both just turning bright red and giggling I love it I also like I also have noticed that like punctuation makes a lot of difference. Um, like I was talking with my partner about how like good girl with no period is like it doesn't really feel like it carries much weight, but good girl with a period at the end is like, oh, that's very dommy. Oh yeah. <laughs> Dominant punctuation. <laughs> no, but it's it's true. I do a lot of uh, ellipses when I'm Ooh. texting with my person. I'm like in a minute, dot dot dot. <laughs> dot 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 <laughs> and I'll just like give like a series of ellipses just to make sure that and I can see that they're online so I know that they're, they're waiting for me to say the next thing and that <laughs> that's so powerful. the most stressful thing is those little r typing like little dots <laughs> <laughs> you're like what are you what are you saying what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I use that to fuck with people <laughs> I'm just like, okay there's little dots that the that it's showing and then I'm just gonna wait for a while it's going to show that i'm typing and then when they you know when they get the message it's just more dots <laughs> just mean. I'm, I'm a mean i mean with the punctuation it's a millennial mind fuck over here <laughs> <laughs> so 
So you talked a little bit earlier about doing a lot of like poly coaching. Uh, and one of the things I read prepping for this was uh, your interview with Kevin Patterson on poly role models. Uh, and one of the things you listed as your strength was kind of naming the uncomfortable and going towards the big scary thing and like there's a reason it's called the big scary thing so I'm wondering <laughs> I'm curious how you got to a point where like that wasn't terrifying <laughs> well I wouldn't say it's not terrifying um, it's really that I've learned to manage my fears around it in relationships um, there's 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 a key thing that I when I'm working with my clients uh, around communicating it's about including everything. And so I think one of the mistakes that we often make when we have something we want to tell our partner that's scary, whether it's like, I have to say something that I don't think you're going to like to hear, or I have an interest or a kink or a fetish or a thing I want that I think you're going to be upset about or whatever it is. Um, we often focus on the thing that is scary and we drop all the context that's around it. And so one of the things that I'm really big on is including all the context um, and making sure that you name all the parts, right? So like, I want, so instead of just being like, I want to do butt stuff, like maybe that's your big scary thing, whatever it is. Um, like, I have something I want to tell you. Um, here's what I'm afraid is going to happen if I tell you. Here's what I want to have happen if I tell you. Like, can we talk about this? And then they're like, usually like oh my god what's going on with this kind of build up <laughs> you know like i'm i'm afraid you're not i'm afraid you're going to think it's gross or that you're going to think less of me um but i want to tell you cuz i want to feel closer to you and what i'd like to have happen in this conversation is like maybe not a plan of action or anything but just to be able to put some desires on the table okay now you've got a meta, you've had a bit of a meta conversation about how you want the conversation to go. Mm -hmm. It becomes a lot less scary because the, your, your partner has now bought into how we're going to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and it does make it less scary because it's like, hey, I'm bringing you something vulnerable. I'm bringing you something that, and I'm bringing it to you because I want to be closer to you. I want us to understand each other better. I want you to understand something about me. Um, so that's that's a big piece of it. And then the other thing that I, I also work with people on a lot is knowing the difference between a sharing conversation and a negotiation conversation. Mm. So a lot of times people hear their partner bring something to them and they're like, oh God, this is an expectation of me now. Now I have to do this. Now I have to be this. Mm. And then it turns into a fight because it feels like pressure. Mm -hmm. And so making a difference between like a sharing conversation, like, hey, there's something I want to share with you. It isn't a request. I'm not making a demand on you. It's okay if you need time to go think about this before we talk about it again. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying, hey, let's open up our relationship right now. I'm saying I want to have a conversation about desires around this and see what we want to do with that, mm -hmm. if anything. Right? Like, that's a, it's a sharing conversation. So negotiation and, and sharing are different things, and a lot of people collapse those together. It's like, oh, I have this information. Now I'm supposed to take action, and it's mm -hmm. urgent. And just giving some breathing space makes it so much easier to have, like, to know the difference between those two things and, like, not bring your partner something that they haven't thought about, aren't familiar with, don't know what to do with, <laughs> and be like, go. Because <laughs> that's a recipe for failure, and that's a recipe for pressure, and it's a recipe for it to not go well. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love what you said about uh, explicitly saying that the purpose of the conversation is that you want to feel closer to them. Because I think when I'm sharing something vulnerable with a partner, that's often kind of the unspoken reason I'm doing it. Uh, And it seems unnecessary to say that, but I think you're right. I think that even that little piece of context could help shift the tone of the conversation a lot. It's really useful. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I really love what you were saying about kind of setting expectations for how you'd like the conversation to go because you've kind of given them the right answer already (laughs) Um, and they don't have like as much pressure of being like, what do I do with this information? Right. Um, One of the things I did when I was coming out as trans to my dad was tell him the story of the people who did not react well. I was like, and then they did this, and then they did that, and gah. <laughs> and then he was able to, like, take that and be like, okay, so don't do any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, giving giving people, I, I like to think of it sort of as, like, gutters when you're bowling. It's like, give them, the, <laughs> give them the little the bumpers so that they don't fall into the gutters. And, like, maybe it won't be a total strike, but at least we're not, you know, missing the pins entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah is a terrible analogy but <laughs> no i no, actually I really like saying. it yeah yeah it's just like it's, it's really about setting up your partner setting both of you up to win when there's something really vulnerable by giving them context and guidelines basically mm-hmm. and they're of course going to react however they're going to react but i find that setting the stage can be really um, helpful, especially for those sort of deer in the headlights conversations or moments where it's like, I don't even know what to do with this information. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 when I came out to my parents, I did not do that. I didn't handle it well. <laughs> that was a long time ago. My mom and I just had a conversation about it like a few weeks ago. And uh, I was like, yeah, I would do it differently now. But <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I was in testosterone for a year before I said anything. <laughs> like I have facial hair that I, I didn't have before. And I was like, maybe I should address this. <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts on a, a sexual communication snafu that I had. Because um, it's weird to like be a sex educator for years and still run into situations where you're like, I don't even know how to navigate that. Um, <laughs> I I was having sex with like a friend, I guess you could say, um, and I was using a vibrator. I took out a vibrator um, to use on myself while we were oh. having sex, and um, I was gonna need that in order to like experience pleasure and orgasm from penis and vagina sex because like otherwise it doesn't really do a whole lot for me and uh i started using the vibe and he said to me that feels weird uh and i was like oh do you want me to like stop using it and he was like yeah so i just kind of like set aside my own pleasure and like speaking of being a good girl like i really kind of like abandoned my own goals in that interaction and like set the vibe down um and, like, I've joked that, like, in retrospect, I wish that I would have, like, yelled at him a little bit, but I actually don't, I, I don't think I, it would have been good to be mean, I just think I needed to advocate for myself better. But I'm curious, like, what you would say that I, I should have done in that situation. <coughs> well, I'm not a big fan of shoulds. Okay. So I should yeah. say, I'll start with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily think that you handled it poorly. However, I would be curious about what the follow-up on that was, because... Sometimes having the conversation in the moment is hard to do, mm-hmm. or it's like, oh, we clearly we we seem to want different things in this moment. Uh, 
I'll just set my thing aside and we'll carry on. But then the question is, is do you go back around to pick it back up again later? Right. Right. So I think in, in, in partner sex, um, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with setting aside your preferences from time to time. Like that's part of being generous. Mm-hmm. It's just when we're doing it all the time, when it's ingrained, when it's habitual, when we don't even think about it in a way where we actually are negating our own desires mm-hmm. and we never circle back around to advocate for ourselves. And that's where it becomes a problem, I think. Right. Uh, because I want, I mean, I, I think that good sex often involves setting aside one's preferences mm-hmm. as long as but it needs to be mutual and reciprocal and collaborative and like there needs to be conversations about those preferences and there needs to be enough overlap of preferences for the sex to be good. Yeah. And if you're not putting your preferences on the table at all, you're never going to figure out if that's even the case. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it sounds like you wish you had done something different. Um, <laughs> and, you know, maybe it was checking in with him and being like, oh, what, you know, tell me a little, like, just tell me more. What feels weird about it to you? Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you, you could, or it could be like, no, this is what I need to get off. Or it could be like, let's change positions so that, you know, like, it, it, I mean, some, some people just don't have experience with a thing. And when you throw in a toy, they don't have any experience with and like that can throw their game. And maybe they have an objection or maybe they're just thrown. It's hard to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think I love doing debriefs after sex of like what worked, what didn't. Yeah. Um, for next time, right? Like, and if it's a one-off, I don't necessarily do that. But you know, most of my partners are ongoing partners, and I like to have debriefs afterwards. Where it's like, oh, you know, that moment where I did put the vibrator down that didn't really work for me, but I, I didn't know how to handle it. Right. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about where you're coming from, and I'll tell you more about where I'm coming from. Yeah, because basically the way that I resolved that was I just decided I wasn't going to sleep with him anymore because, like, I just felt like uh, I just wasn't quite up to the task of, like, bringing it up and making it into a thing, which I think comes from, like, patriarchal bullshit about, like, my needs not mattering. Um, but, yeah, if it was someone who I who I wanted to keep seeing on an ongoing basis, I think I would have tried to figure out how to, like, bring it up. Um, it just it felt wounding in the moment because I was like, oh, you don't care about my pleasure. But, you know, that's that's not an entirely compassionate way of looking at that. I think I think that there was other stuff going on there. I mean, maybe that was maybe that's true. But I, I also think it's important to give our partners the benefit of the doubt. And mm-hmm. not for, I don't feel like anybody should ever have to educate anyone if they don't if it doesn't feel good or if it doesn't feel right or if it's like taxing to you Mm -hmm. and that being said i i think that um i think that for for men who are having sex with women the women that those men sleep with owe it to the other women that he sleeps (laughs) with (laughs) to educate him so like do it for the sisterhood man (laughs) Yeah, and I also think there's just a lot to be said for. Um, hey, listen, I don't know, like what it's been like for other people you you've slept with. Let me show you how my body works. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm a big believer in that that framing of things. Like, I don't know what experience because then it's like super not shaming mm-hmm. about they may or may not have been exposed to. Um, I think a lot of times. Uh, men, uh, tops, um, doms, like people who are in those kind of positions are sort of assumed to, that it's assumed that they know the answers or that they know what to do and mm-hmm. they can't quote unquote show weakness. And so making it like, hey, let me show you how my body works <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> becomes mm-hmm. this like 
standard. But, you know, it, that still takes a certain level of self-confidence, I think, to, to say that. Mm-hmm. That being said, everybody's bodies are different. So I think everyone should be, I mean, as much as I think there are shoulds, it would be great if everybody would be like, let me show you how my, my body is different than any other body you've been with. Let me show you. Let me show you around the place. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. One of the things I used to use, um, because pre-testosterone I couldn't get off without a vibrator now I can somewhat um but one of the things I used to say was do you want to see me come let me get my toy I use that one all the time because (laughs) no one ever says no to that like you get your foot in the door with that one it's brilliant Mm -hmm. I love it (laughs) no one's ever gonna be like no fuck you I don't (laughs) (laughs) and if they did then they would probably feel kind of bad about themselves and then you would have to have a conversation about like whether your pleasure matters to them and it's just yeah I've never had anyone say no I don't want to see you come it's just never yeah. come up yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's another great one um I also have used to give other people permission you know show me show me how your body works like show mm-hmm. me how you like I especially I, <laughs> I just stumbled across this sort of inadvertently because I was with a woman who had a lot of piercings and I was like Ah, I don't know what to do here. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know how this works. There's a lot of metal. <laughs> I'm a little freaked out. I'm still in, but I don't know what to do. And so I was like, "Hey, can you give me a tour?" <laughs> that was the only thing I could think of to say. But she thought it was funny, and she was really excited to show me. So that was great. <laughs> That's so cute. Excellent. When I started seeing my boyfriend, I was, I mentioned something in text about how like I can have multiple orgasms, but it's like really tricky and you have to know the, how to do it. And he was like, why don't you write like a document that's like an instruction manual for you? Like as if you were a toy that just explains all of that stuff. And I wrote it and it was the most fun assignment. I remember I did it on Christmas Eve, which is really absurd. I was like so into it. I was like watching It's a Wonderful Life and also like writing this thing. And it's like one of my favorite things I've ever written. And I also notice him all the time using stuff still from that document. And I'm like, I'm so glad I did that because it it gave me an opportunity to like put my words in writing, which is how I find it easiest to communicate. And he had time to like review it and like go back and look at relevant sections again. And it was it was really, really good. I also have uh, I have a Google Doc that I send (laughs) my lovers. Amazing. And it's. And and it's partially because of my career. I don't want to have a lot of information like on Fat Life and things like that. It's just people get weird. There's like creepy people who it gets kind of stalkery. Yeah. So I don't want to put that out there, right? Like I have a Fat Life profile that's pretty straightforward with professional stuff and some inside jokes with friends. <laughs> um, and then so, but I was like, oh, I really want to be able to like say all this stuff. So it has like my kinks and my fetishes. It has the last time I was tested. It has my safer sex practices. It has. <laughs> Things about how I like to top, how I like to bottom. Um, yeah. By the way, if we're involved, I will probably be very excited ab- about you and <laughs> lavish attention on you. And you should not assume that that means that I want to, you know, shack up and get married. Um, <laughs> like I'm like this with all of my friends. You should know. So just like kind of, a, I call it my operator's manual, um, and uh, it has been very helpful. And I have also noticed people using things from it and then you can like update it from time to time it also (laughs) makes a lot of those conversations about like how you work in particular work like Mm -hmm. it's it's better goes more smoothly yeah Um, and I found that even when I don't share that document with people the process of writing it out has made it easier when I'm doing pickup play Mm. or like meeting up with an old lover that I haven't seen in a while to just have some of the conversations than the negotiations that need to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really flies in the face of the traditional discourse that says that, like, 
talking about sex ruins it or like kills the magic or whatever because i like the more that you talk about it the more magic it can get i think i think so (laughs) so one other thing you mentioned in your uh poly role models interview is you talk about hating the feeling of nre which i feel so hard <laughs> like i had one of those moments where i was like oh my god another one it's not just me <laughs> um do you have any tips for like working through your own nre when you're in that feeling and you're like ah, how do i get out <laughs> like it out like a bad high i don't know um <laughs> that's usually what i do yeah um, yeah, I don't like that feeling of, like, I love being in relationship with people, whether it's, a like, my, the people I have sex with are, are friends, they're people I love, I trust, like, they're people I'm sometimes in partnership with, um, I love long-term relationships, even, you know, casual long-term relationships, I love getting to know people, I often say I fuck somebody the first time in order to get to the second time, um, <laughs> Because I like I like I like the gradual unfolding of getting to know people, mm-hmm. and that feeling of something new. It's just like so. I don't like it because it's like I don't know where we're at. And I have all these chemicals going through my body, and at the same time, there's all this ambiguity about what's going to happen or whether they're into me or whatever. And um, I thought I was the only one, and I actually ended up bonding with one of my metamors about this years and years ago. Um, she and I were like dating the same person and we got into a conversation about how we both hated that feel that nre feeling and i was like oh my god i thought i was the only one <laughs> so yeah i mean pacing myself um trying to not get too drunk on a person um uh just i mean really just kind of to borrow language i mean i'm not sober but borrowing language from 12 steps like staying emotionally sober as much as possible in the face of like oh my god i want to do you like all the time (laughs) yeah close off and like stare (laughs) in your eyes for hours and everything you say is the most fascinating thing and i've lost all ability to think critically So there's that, and then you know, just making sure I'm spending time with my friends, making sure that I'm, I'm even if I'm quite distracted at work, that I'm still showing up and doing my work, and mm-hmm. um, remembering the other things in my life that are a priority until the feelings <laughs> settle down. <laughs> it's yeah. something like, or for me, like, okay, now we have a little bit more understanding of where we're at, and and, <laughs> and there can still be a lot of fun and excitement in that, but there's less like. Uh, my heart is just out on a tree limb and I don't know if a squirrel's <laughs> going to eat it. <laughs> yeah, it's just so all-consuming and it's like, my own brain is annoying me by how much it's thinking about them. Like, yeah. can we please just do something else for a second? Just <laughs> <Yeah>. anything. <laughs> just for a second. <laughs> I always find journaling really helpful because, like, my... I. I, I tend to like annoy the person by texting them too much or annoy other people in my life by talking about them too much. So I can set myself like a time limited, like I'm going to journal for them about them for an hour maybe. And then after that, I'm going to move on with my day and I'll hopefully like get out all my thoughts. Uh, I do that with any kind of like obsessive thought loops that I'm having, which come up as a part of my mental illnesses. And I find it really, really helpful. And then the journal entries are hilarious too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually, it's funny, I have a journal entry, I remember um, one of my earliest just huge, huge, huge crushes uh, is on the person who's now my best friend, and we dated in college, and like now it's been almost 20 years, it'll be 20 years this fall since we met, and I just remember writing like, something about this one feels different, I was totally right, like we are, 
like super super tight and i will never ever 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 get bored of their mind like they have the most interesting mind i've ever met still to this day <laughs> but my my nra was just like i could talk to this person forever they're so interesting oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> uh so before we wrap up i'm gonna give you a chance to plug all your stuff and everything in a minute but i'm curious if there's anything we didn't touch on anything i didn't ask you any other like nuggets of advice or anything that you want to include Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I have all kinds of little bon mots. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just I have a lot of stuff on my website, actually. I have a lot of blog posts and, um, you know, downloadable stuff, freebies there uh, at askingforwhatyouwant.com and goodgirlrecovery.com. So that would be my main suggestion as far as, like, checking out other things I have to say. Uh, and I also post a lot to Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and those are all under at Ask Marcia B, M-A-R-C-I-A. Um, but yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, it's a broad question. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Um, I guess the thing that I would say is that everything that I do, all of the work that I've ever done, whether it's uh, Google Recovery, Open Relationship Coaching, cuddle party, uh, any of the stuff that I've been involved with over the years, my sort of foundational belief is that your desires are valid and legitimate and actually matter. Mm -hmm. And that desire is persistent. Desire is, is life force. Like wanting things is what keeps us going. Anybody who's been depressed and doesn't want anything like knows how much that that sort of feels just like life getting sucked out of you. And I always think of desire as plants like it's life force right and if you concrete it over and try to act like it's not there there will be cracks and something will grow and it may grow weird and sideways or you can just let it be there and like let it be healthy and let the light in and the water in and all that so I really um love hearing about people's unusual desires the things they want their kinks their fetishes their fascinations because I feel like it's what makes us who we are and it it really does provide sort of the creativity and the um, the joy for life and like letting it sort of have air and space is just so, so, so important. And that's a foundational belief that ties all of my work together. <laughs> that that's kind of really reminds beautiful. me. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. It reminds me when I interview people for my day job and like my favorite question is tell me what you're passionate about. I don't care what it is, but yeah. that is what gets me like the clearest glimpse of the person that I'm about to hire is just talk to me about what you love, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't it doesn't have to even be sexual. I think it's just whenever we let ourselves have our fascinations, have our weird obsessions, have our kinks our fetishes our hobbies whatever it is um you know making model trains or collecting vintage porn or whatever <laughs> it is you know um it really gives access to a part of ourselves that you just can't get to any other way mm -hmm. <laughs> that's beautiful yeah uh so do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you and anything that you're working on right now yeah, you can find me online at uh, askingforwhatyouwant.com. I've got the consent guides downloadable there. You can find pretty much everything that I do from that website or goodgirlrecovery.com. Um, you can find me on pretty much all the social media at 
Ask Marsha B. And um, in terms of what I'm working on right now, well, I'm in the middle of moving, which is a pain in my butt. But <laughs> uh, the thing I'm really excited to get to as soon as I'm done moving is um, I have a uh, I have two downloadable classes on my website right now. One is a boundaries class, and one is it's the Better Boundaries Crash Course. And the other is um, Bedroom Communication for Everyone. And I'm creating a third class on getting your needs met called Not Needy, and <laughs> like really looking at what what is this idea of neediness and what does it mean to get your needs met and how do you go about doing that, especially if you feel like maybe you're too much? Mm. Um, what do you do with that? So I'm really excited to get that out and I'm hoping that'll be out by the middle, well, it's almost the middle of summer already, by the end of the <laughs> summer. It was supposed to be in June, but then our landlord decided to sell the house. So here we are. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm excited about that. I've got like tons of notes and I'm really looking forward to putting that together and releasing that later this summer. Right. Thank you. Uh, I have been Kate Sloan. You can find my sex blog at girlyjuice.net. I'm also really excited because today, at time of recording, I found out that the Association of LGBT Journalists has given me their Excellence in Bisexual Coverage Award uh, for a story I wrote for Daily Extra last year called What It's Like to Talk to Your Doctor About Sexual Health When You're Bisexual. Uh, spoiler alert, not great a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> so if you want to check out that story, it's in the essays section of my site at katewritesaboutsex.com. Uh, you can follow me also on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. Where's your stuff, friend? I'm Bex. You can find all my writing at Bex Talk Sex, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Bex Talk Sex. Together, we're the Dildorks. We're at thedildorks.com and on Twitter and Instagram at thedildorks. You can also find us by searching the Dildorks in your favorite podcast app. Uh, if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash thedildorks to toss a couple of bucks our way. We're doing some really exciting stuff over there, so uh, keep an eye out for when we update that in the near future. Thank you so much to Protodome, who did our theme song, I Want You in My Bedroom, and thank you to Amy, who did our logo. She is at Starboots underscore on Twitter. Thank you so much again to Marsha for joining us. This was so fun. Lovely. And uh, thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Bye. Bye. Thank you, that was so great. Damn it, Kenton. What? Did he give a question? If an alpaca comes to an intersection and doesn't know to go left or right, does it have a dilemma? So stupid. <laughs> that is not helpful, Kenton. So entirely stupid. Uh, if you could pick a sex toy to murder someone with, what would you pick and why? I feel like it's just the 11. Or the banana thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. That's a good strangling device. Yeah, well, I feel like this one... I'm trying to picture if it could go over someone's head, actually. It It doesn't have to. Grab the loop and grab the end. Oh, okay, yeah. True. Yeah. That's that's a terrible way to die. Yeah. Just shameful. Just shocking. We'll be right back.